The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to a new year edition of the Veritas Show, where we bring you disclosure, one guest at a time. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members. As always, you are keeping Veritas alive. First of all, I want to wish all of you a very healthy, happy, and prosperous new year. Tonight, we continue where we left off. Our interview with Crystal Clark went into a lot of overtime. It wasn't only the quantity, but the quality of the show that prompted me to fit it all into two shows. If you thought the first show was enlightening, wait until you hear the sequel. I wanted to find a guest who was not known, and at the same time, someone who could bring a message of hope in the midst of chaos. What a more appropriate guest than Crystal Clark. Who are we? 101, The Return of the Shaman. To listen to the full shows, just head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, and click on subscribe. For only $5.32 per month, you will have access to all our past, present, and future shows, 57 so far, the Manticore Forum, and our exclusive Veritas chat room. What are you waiting for? For only 17 cents per day, you can get true knowledge that you won't find in the mainstream media. Where else can you get so much for so little? Also, 
If you find the show valuable, why not give someone else the opportunity to experience it too? You can purchase a three, six month, or a one year truth certificate. Make a difference in someone's life. I want to thank Vic Giza, our fantastic volunteer illustrator, who delights us with our weekly comic strip featuring our mascot EXO. He surprised us once again with a New Year illustration with Yoda as 2009 and Baby EXO as 2010. Great job as usual, Vic. And by the way, last week's comic strip, the portrayal that you made of me, I'm happy with it. Thank you. And once again, tonight we'll go directly to the continuation of last week's show with Crystal Clark. If you want to stay in the box, stop this audio now. If you want to step outside the box and experience new paradigms, don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Most of the great music you hear right here on The Veritas Show is supplied by the independent artists from Jamendo.com. If you hear a song you like, go over to our homepage, VeritasShow.com, click on the guest, look up the song, and download it. You can even buy the group's CDs, in many cases right there at Jamendo.com. This is David Sarita, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. And welcome back to The Veritas Show. You are listening to an additional segment or show with Crystal Clark, the author of the book, Who Are We Really? 101. And before we finish our first show, we were talking about the UFOs. How do UFOs fit into this story, Crystal? You know, this is really interesting, and this was even touched on, uh, I, I believe it was during the show you did with Dr. Rowney Kilda, where she talked about, uh, you know, I think it was astral traveling, but seeing uh, loved ones who had passed over on other planets with UFOs. Yes. And that, that seems like a really odd thing, but one of the most famous abduction cases was Betty Andreessen. And... Uh, the work is covered in the book, her abduction experience, but the book is called The Watchers by Raymond E. Fowler. And and this, uh, I should say before we start, that this, what I'm going to tell you about from her experience, is connected to some of the technology that we've been hearing about lately, like the looking glass, okay? And this mm-hmm. is also connected to uh, symbology in the Revelation, uh, like the Book of Life, for example, is really a reference to the Akashic Records which is a record of time, of all the things that we've ever done. Um, so it's very similar. But basically, her story is really fascinating because, in a way, she's very much like a modern-day Enoch. Um, you know, she was, you know, Enoch's story is kind of interesting because he was taken to heaven, uh, showed, given a guided tour of everything, and, and allowed to come back to Earth to deliver 360 books that, you know, magically vanished. You and I never saw them. 
But her experience was very similar in that she was taken repeatedly and she was shown things specifically so that she would show other people what she was shown. And what they would often do is they would cause her to have an OBE, an out-of-body experience. And uh, she was working with a group that called themselves the Watchers, the Watchers and the Elders. And this is the exact same thing that you find in the Book of Enoch. They were called the Watchers. And you find this in the Dead Sea Scrolls. They're called the Watchers. So we know we're dealing with the same group, you could say. So... uh, they told her that the reason that they would take her places in her soul and leave her body behind is that everything we do in physical form leaves behind grooves in the record of time. And these grooves can be tracked and traced, and they didn't want that to happen with her, the things that they were showing her. What was really remarkable about her story, I'd read it years before I actually started writing the book, but when I realized that in antiquity the sacred science was called the one law, her story jumped out at me because on one of these episodes that they took her, they took her to this special place, uh, and it was a special door, and she had to leave her body behind. She could only enter this door with her soul, and behind the door was the one. And no matter how many times he tried to regress her to find out what she saw behind that door, she, she couldn't tell him what she saw. Uh, I'm pretty sure what she saw is actually the one law because it's everything. We're all connected. And, you know, you can, aside from her story, just incidentally, in in, uh, Jim Marr's book, Alien Agenda, there are stories in that book about remote viewers who had seen people on other planets worshiping the river of life. They were giving thanks and praying to the one. And this river of life in, in our Bibles, it's it's called the Water of Life, River of Life. It's the same thing, and this remote viewer got the sense from watching them that that one was all of our souls put together, and that's a direct indication that there are uh, races on other planets who know the sacred science, and so so did those who worked with Betty when they abducted her, uh, and they and they taught her a lot about these things. Um, Did she mention any specific planets? Uh, she did. She drew one. I'm, I'm trying to remember what it was now. I, I can't remember. I think there was a map she drew. She was, a, a, she was an artist, which really helps. So there's really, really great diagrams about what she saw. When Almost she like Betty Hill, Betty and Barney Hill. It's the same, it's the same woman. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's so it's, 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 she was remarried. So, oh, I see. Right. I'm glad right. that you uh, explained. Yes. Right, right. It's the same woman, and what's really odd about this is they actually showed her how the Akashic records work. They they abducted her. They wanted to show her a scene from when she was a little girl, and this big ball came out of the wall, and it played the movie for her. So what we do is being recorded, and we work with the elders. I mean, people have to understand, we have to, we have to start to move past the science of UFOs in terms of propulsion and all this other, you know. Yeah, that's important, but these beings are involved with us in death, not just life, and in fact, in between lives. You, there, are, there are so many uh, past life regression sessions that talk about this. When we die, we go stand in front of the Council of the Elders. They pull our records, which is our book of life that's talked about in Revelation, and we go over what we did. And that's where we begin to plan our next incarnation. So these beings are like our, well, they are, they're watchers. They're like big brothers in a way. They are are enabling humanity to, you know, they're they're helping us with the reincarnation process. Um, 
but the problem is, is that these beings themselves had to be where we were once, and they have themselves ascended. So now they're helping us. And we have to recognize that because everything is so connected, if, if we don't make this transition, this shift that people are talking about, this transformation, then there will be another race out there that we were supposed to help, and we aren't going to show up. So, you know, we, we have to start looking at it through the soul perspective. And I think, you know, there's that great saying that's going on now, notice what you notice. And it's interesting to me that you have a woman like Rowney Kilda who's just trying to teach people a very simple, simple thing that there is no death because the soul is eternal. And, and she's right. Our bodies are rentals. We give them back when we're done. We get a new one. Um, and they've tried to kill her 200 times or something. Yes. And you've got, but now you've got all these people that have worked in black ops projects all their life and they supposedly escaped or defected and they're singing like canaries and nobody's doing anything to them. So notice what you notice. Well, it just goes to show you people that really tell the truth are subverted or destroyed. There are some people that who were not, were not subvertible and they were destroyed. And then you have people who talk and talk and talk and create a following based on a void that was created by somebody who may have died November 2001, just to give you folks an example. And this person keeps talking and talking and continues to be unscathed. It really makes you wonder if that is a planned opposition. Well, absolutely, because here, what happens when, when we have people coming out and talking about new technology, we've got these stargates and we've got, we've got this, that, and the other, and, and the looking glass, all, all that is telling you is look what the new monkey mind can do. That's right. The, right? The, the, new, the soul is being left out again. It's, it's, you're, we're constantly being redirected back to the, to the, to the body-mind. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because it may sound strange to say we have a soul-mind and a body-mind, but because we are, we are ourselves manifestations of the sacred science, we have duality built into our own bodies, and, and those are the two hemispheres of our brain. The left brain is connected to the right hand, and the left brain is centered on science and logic and reason. It's, it's what we would consider uh, in occult or universal terms, it's, it's male energy. The right hemisphere is connected to the emotions, the intuition, psychic abilities, and, so, and it's considered female. And there's a reason that they're trying to cut us off from that half of the brain and constantly redirecting us back to looking at life only through the left hemisphere. In fact, in reading and writing, cultures that write with their left hand are far more spiritual, and they generally will write from right to left. But here, we write from left to right, and we're taught to use our right hand, which, which very specifically it, uh, becomes an enabler of, of the left hemisphere. We, we become dependent on using that hemisphere, and we stop using the other one. And the other one is what's tied to our higher self. And I've heard some... Uh, uh, some statistics on the processing power. The, the left brain, the, the logic brain, I, I know these are probably way off base. It's just for, you know, uh, the sake of uh, making of a argument. point. Yeah, the left brain does something like 7,000 cycles per second in processing, and the right brain is like 500,000. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous difference. And, and we don't realize how much effort is going into making sure 
that those hemispheres never become balanced, that we don't ever access our higher self, that we only look through the left brain because that's the brain that's tied to the illusion, the virtual reality that they create. You realize that one of the reasons why we have Cliff High on the show all the time is because he can talk about any subject. He can just respond rather quickly. And I think I found the female version of Cliff High today. Wow, that's you. a real compliment. Thank you. Yeah. And of course, I have to ask you how you really came up with all this information. The amalgamation of stuff that you have accumulated, how did this really happen? Research or how did you connect the dots? It, it, it really was like I said it was, and this is the same journey. Again, this goes back to why I wrote a study guide, because I want everyone else who reads it to become just exactly like me and understand it the way I understand it. The knowledge has to come first. You have to have the book knowledge. But then if, if, you, if you really are tapping into that right hemisphere, you're going to be tapping into uh, it's the, it's the driver and the co-driver of the truck. You know, we have a soul mind that we access through the right hemisphere, and that mind is connected to the universal mind that it has access to all the information that ever was. So, but first you have to have the knowledge because you have to have points of reference for your soul mind to try to teach you higher concepts. It has to work with, it's working through your consciousness, which is your mind. And, and so it, it can only use words and terms and phrases that your mind already has because we, the mind is what processes the information. So book knowledge is very, very important, but then we move past that phase. We, we begin working with the other hemisphere, which is our higher self, and it will literally lead you by the hand and, and, and show you everything you ever wanted to know. Isn't that what academia is all about? It really makes you stay in that framework of books and what's been proven, and anything that goes outside of that realm is frowned upon. You know, absolutely, and I think what's so frustrating about this is that you and I, and, and people you know like us that are trying to figure out what's really going on, we are well aware that the government invested hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in uh, paranormal activities. You know, the, the uh, MKUltra, the mind control, uh, remote viewing. But on the surface, they're telling people that you're a nut if you believe in that stuff, and they're perpetuating that because we have to remember that ignorance is where the control lies. As long as we don't know what they know, we're the sheeple. Right. And, and so everything is being driven down from, from that level. That, I mean, yeah, it is a spiritual experience because we do have two halves, and, and, and they are both part of us, but we have to remember that this, this sacred science, this one law, creates the most powerful weapons the world has ever known. Well, we as I say, ourselves. government censorship equals protecting us from reality. Yes, they're weaponizing these things, which is, which is why we can't be told the truth when we have our higher education in terms of, um, you know, quantum physics and what the real equations are, because then we'll realize what they've done. And it's almost as if Einstein was the top of it, and uh, they make us look at Einstein all the time. And no, no disrespect to Einstein or, or to others, but then you have people like Tesla, a lot of that knowledge is supposedly lost, just like the 800 boxes of uh, footage from the moon were lost. It's hidden somewhere. Yeah. So how did you come to the conclusion that there are two different sets of history and prophecy competing with each other? Um, well, this, this goes back to, uh, 
what we talked about earlier, you know, that whole serpent in the garden kind of thing, it sounds really strange, but there's a lot of truth to it, and I think we really need to see that for what it is. There, there are two sets of history, and there are two sets of prophecy, and they are competing with each other in every way. And the Book of Enoch is a really great example because it's, it's odd to me. It should strike everyone as odd that this man's prophecies were not put into the Holy Biblia because you're talking about a man who uh, was so loved by God, he was the only other person besides Elijah who was taken to heaven in the flesh and didn't have to die first. But where are his prophets? They're gone. They're not anywhere in the Bible. There's one reference to him in the Bible that he was a prophet, and that's it. The rest is gone. And what's really interesting about that, and, and I take people through ancient texts in the very beginning of the book and discuss all of this, because it's important for people to realize that it's just a Biblia collection, and human beings wrote it, and they didn't all have good intentions. And if we can see it that way, it really helps. When we get to that phrase, a lot of people talk about the Nephilim. That, that phrase about the Nephilim being on the earth in those days and also afterwards isn't part of Genesis. That actually comes from the book of Enoch. That little blurb was cut out of Enoch and pasted into Genesis right there. So if you want the whole story, you have to go to the book of Enoch. And the book of Enoch is the complete opposite story of the Sumerian tablets. And I don't think people realize that. And And that's another interesting thing, right? We've got all of this money on marketing all of these books, and we were allowed to find and translate 10,000 clay tablets, but the Book of Enoch is nowhere to be found. And in a few days, we're going to have uh, Dr. J.J. Hertak and Desiree Hertak, his wife, to discuss this, too. It's, it's odd. It should strike people as odd. So, so basically what we have happening is that the prophecies that we have in our, in our Bible and, and those types of scriptures are warning us about repeating the loop. They've warned us about the serpent coming to the garden. They've warned us about it. But it's, but it's a, they're stories that they're telling us, please don't do what we did without telling us exactly what they did. Because if they tell us exactly what they did, then we'll have the sacred science, and it will be, again, like giving matches to a five-year-old. So they have to be careful. They placed restrictions on themselves because they didn't want to take the place of the serpent, giving out information to a race that's, that's in its infantile stages that will destroy themselves with it right away. So we have these stories, but they're always talking about really advanced technology. And there are warnings about how to proceed, what not to do, what will happen. And we find it over and over again. If, if, you, if you break the law, I know it sounds like religion, so uh, for people that really have a hard time with that, just try to bear with me. It, it says that if we break these laws, they will experience plagues and death. And, and religion teaches us that that is the wrath of God, that that is coming from an outside source, smacking us on the hand and saying, bad humans don't do that. But the truth of the matter is, is that these laws, when we understand the sacred science, literally create everything we see, including ourselves. So when we don't know that and we start messing with them, pretty soon we have a world that that doesn't function anymore, and we're all sick, and we're all dying, and they're, you know, genetically modified foods is a really, really good uh, example of this. Even our food supply was designed to have that energetic interaction with us. It's designed to support, uphold, create, and regenerate life. And what we've done to it, so this plant has its own law. Let me back up a minute. There's a story I use in the book when, when I talk about laws. When water comes into contact with an axe, an iron axe, 
we get rust. That is, that is a cause and effect based on the laws of the water and the laws of the axe. There's no religion involved in that. They behave the way they do because that's the way they've, they've been designed. They've been programmed to do that. So every time you have an axe exposed to water that's made of iron, you're going to get rust. Those laws don't change because the water and the axe don't have free will. Let's remember that. So, so if we apply that to our food supply, everything that's here has laws attached to it, and those laws, for the most part, are designed to uphold, create, and regenerate life. And when we start to tweak them, what we've done now is we've actually added viruses and bacteria and pesticide. We genetically splice those things into our food supply, and we have to remember that those things resonate with death. So it's the same thing that we had happening with the war and the tap water in Tokyo. And by the way, we should recognize it wasn't just the water in Tokyo that was affected that day. So we're breaking all of these laws and we're tweaking them. And the problem with that is is that a lot of this goes back to weaponization and control because we have to realize that the powers that be and the controllers know these laws. It's the only reason they can do what they do. It's the only reason that they can... Um, uh, the the, web, the frequency weapons that they have, for example, uh, they have they can they can shoot a beam at the body and you can lose control of your bowels. They can take memories out and implant new ones. They're able to do that because they know the sacred science. They understand how uh, the human body is programmed. They understand the laws of the body and how it works. And once you know how that program runs, you can change the programming or you can override it. That's what they're doing, and they're doing it at every level of life. They're doing it to our food. They've done it to our water. They're doing it to our sky. They've got these beam weapons. You saw, you know, 9-11. That's what that can do. Uh, so it's a problem. The general public, I think, really has to understand this sacred science because it's the only way to make sure that, it stop, we, that we stop abusing it. So what's the purpose? GMO, you have directed energy weapons, you have HARP, you have chemtrails, you have all this confluence of things. What's the end game for them? Death. Death. Death or population reduction? Population reduction is part of the lie. You know, and, and it, the thing about it is, is that this is sold to the minions, you know, through their higher education. It's the way that they become you know, they get to feel like they're part of this elitist program and that they're really doing something great, you know, because they're being taught that it's we. There's too many of us here on the planet and that it really is carbon that's killing everything. Uh, they're buying into that. That's part of the lie because, you know, as well as I do, carbon is, has nothing to do with global warming. Right. Right. It has nothing to do with it. And, in fact, all of these chemicals, you know, our fish are changing sexes. Who's putting all these chemicals into the water? Did you and I vote to put fluoride in the water? No. Of course not. Did you and I vote to have them chemtrail our skies? So all of these things are being done by this level, by the group at this level, but they're teaching people that we're the dummies that are destroying everything because there's too many people on the planet. Right, right. It's, right. A, it's a guilt trip for all of us. But when you say death, does that mean 100% death for the planet? Is that what you're saying? For all, all of us on it, yeah. All of us on it, but who's perpetrating this? And if it's happening to all of us, wouldn't that be happening to the ones perpetrating this crime? Well, uh, we kind of skipped over this part, but let, let me before I answer that question, because it will just sound so bizarre, I don't think anybody would really believe it. 
Okay. Okay, so we, if, we have, if we go back to the idea that it's always the same technology, let's look, let's look at three different people and, and some recent developments. If we go back to the idea that uh, creation is, it deals with frequency, okay? So we mm-hmm. know we've got Dr. Puello, who's learning how to match the frequency of a disease to a plant. But what's interesting about this is that he was being taught to look deeper at the Gregorian chants, and he found that they've been altered. The public version is no longer the original version. They've been hidden. So he contacted a Monsignor, and he asked him, well, can you tell, you know, help me out, tell me about this? And he was told to leave it alone, and the guy hung up on him. So now we have a man... Is there a... Is there a let me interject for one second. Is there a correlation with what you just said with the 432 hertz frequency that I was referring to earlier in the show? Well, I, I, think, I think this is going to help you understand it on an entirely new level. Okay. okay. So now we have a man named David Sarita, and he did a... Uh, he's been on your show, but he did a, a, an interview with George Nuri once where he was also saying how he had Jesus Christ coming to him and teaching him things. And he was talking about opening up, opening up stargates with these harmonic codes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, both of these men are being taught. I don't know who's teaching them. Maybe it really is Jesus Christ. How, how do I know? Uh, but they're being taught one law technologies that do work. He will be able to open up stargates with those codes. Now, if we go over to Andrew Basiago, this is kind of where it all comes together. Okay. He did a, an interview with a woman named Jessica and it, it's, like four hours. Jessica long. Mystic, seven yeah. hours long. Yeah, it's very, yeah, very, very long. I, I want to say it's it's maybe in in video twenty five or twenty six. I don't have it in front of me. I think it, on, in video twenty five or twenty six, he starts talking about Tesla technology and the Gregorian chants. Okay. First, he starts talking about how there were two musicologists at the Vatican that were playing around with the Gregorian chants, and they decided to split the signal. And when that happened. It opened up a porthole in time, but it was only sound. And what happened was one of these fellows, his father used to call him Zucchini when he was little. And when they split the signal, this man heard his father talking to him when he was a child. So it allowed him to travel through the past through audio. This technology was turned over eventually to government and black projects. But Andrew Basciago also talks about this chair that Tesla had and how it looked like two parentheses, and there were speakers, and it was using sound, and it was based on this exact same technology, and this is how they were able to uh, advance into the looking glass technology. So, so I really want people to understand that whether we're talking about prayer or time travel or stargates, it's always the same technology. And, and when you, here, here's another thing as far as the healing goes. The reason people were healing, these Gregorian chants were very well known for healing, and this gets a little bit into the quantum field. You may hear people who know how to heal with access to the quantum field say that the quantum field is before thought. And that's true in a way, but, it, but the thought is the precursor to the action. So it's also before the action. So to give you an example, uh, I came across, it was a really great article, and I can't find the link to it, I apologize, but it was about all these people who had written about quantum, the quantum field and these experiments that they had done. And there was a book that he referred to called The Field, and it was a woman who wrote it, and I don't remember her name. But they did an experiment with elderly people. They took these elderly people and they put them in an environment that was 
uh, it was completely virtual of the 1950s. So everything was completely recreated. The, the carpet was period, the furniture was period, the television, the television shows, and even the newspaper that they read was from the 1950s. They put these people in this virtual environment, and you know what happened was they literally started to de-evolve in, in aging. They literally regressed. They became younger. And see, they were how did that to, happen? They were they see. This is how the field works. It works through resonance. They were able to resonate with the younger version of themselves, and became younger while they did it. That's that's the kind of you know weird stuff that you get from the field, but. But that's the point I want to make, though, is that these Gregorian chants are accessing that field, which is why this fellow heard his father talking to him as a child, calling him zucchini, and that's why people were having spontaneous healing when these chants were used. It's always the same technology, only the scale changes. See, but we go back to what I was saying, and that's when you said, maybe you'll understand it more, and I do. Could it be also because the frequency of the, the tuning of the voice was 432 hertz, which is the healing frequency. And anything outside of church, for example, did not have that. And that's why Gerbil wanted the philharmonic and the, the, the musical industry, if you will, to change it to 440 so that it could be exclusive, a monopoly for the church in terms of having that frequency only to be used there. That, that could be. That absolutely could be. Uh, the, only, the only thing about that is that uh, th our bodies actually have their own songs. And this goes back to how you could open a stargate with a harmonic code. A harmonic code is a song. So every, every body actually has its, its, literal, its, its own energetic signature, which we can just refer to as a song. So all of creation is actually a, it's a recipe, and it's a recipe of harmonies working in tandem. So your DNA was coded to give you abilities that I don't have, and vice versa. So the idea that DNA could, uh, that everybody's DNA could be healed by one specific frequency, um, that, that I, I kind of have a hard time with, but it is possible, however, that the frequency that they were using in music was uh, balancing both hemispheres of the brain which would give you access to your higher self. And when you do that, you can heal because you can access the Akashic Records that way. Have you done this? Have you accomplished this? <laughs> um, uh, for healing personally, no, but, I, uh, but I've had some very odd experiences, that's for sure. And what ha how have you caused these experiences? Uh, you, you really just... I know it just sounds so simple that it sounds too good to be true, but you really just have to ask. You know, it's that, it's that saying, ask, knock on the door, and it will be opened for you. That door doesn't lie down on 5th and Elm Street on, on the, the face of a church. That's, that's the inner temple. It's the mind. Well, here's why I'm asking. Here's why I'm asking. And I'm going to go back to my witch. Everybody who listens to this show knows the witch lady <laughs> for me. And the story was that at 11.15 or 11.30, I can't remember because it hasn't happened again, I was getting... Strange stuff happened. Where it was the alarm clock uh, going, or it was the, the, the house alarm, or the windows opening. And when I met this lady, I was disturbed by all this stuff. And that's how she started talking to me about this. And she basically said that somebody, an entity, was trying to communicate something to me, but I was not opening up. And it's almost 
and this is the best analogy or metaphor that I could use, is almost like if a radio station out there is transmitting a song that they want me to listen, but I have it on a different station. And the question to you is, you've accomplished this. Did you have to be in the same type of frequency of that quote-unquote radio channel, radio station? Well, um, you know, in that sense, there, there is some truth to that, but we have to remember that when we talk about reality boxes, you know, we have to think out of the box. The box is the mind, and the mind is the mediator between the soul mind and your consciousness. And, and if, if your mind only believes that certain things are possible, those are the only things that your mind will allow you to experience. And in fact, I can, I can tell you, it's a really great story. My husband and I met when I was 16. Uh, we, we didn't marry till, till about a decade later. We lost touch with each other. But uh, we were out on a, a, a picnic table in a park one night. It was late, and we were sitting on this park bench, and we were making out. And we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, this huge white light just zoomed right overhead. I mean, it was massive, and it was glowing. Uh, it wasn't a UFO. It looked like a, like a shooting star, but it was very low to the ground, and it was just huge. And, and uh, the moon was out, and so it, it left a trail of smoke behind it, and the smoke was glowing. And I looked at my husband, and I said, did you see that? And he looked at me. He had no idea what I was talking about, absolutely no idea. And I thought he was playing a joke on me. And I said, how could you not see that? I mean, it lit up the sky, Mel. I, I, I really thought he was playing a joke on me. Years later, six years after I had that meeting with this woman, and I realized she could do what she could do, I went back with a list of bizarre things that had happened in my life because I knew that she really had the ability to tell me what was really going on. And I asked her about that. I said, why, why didn't he see that? And she looked at me and she said, he couldn't see it because he couldn't see. And she pointed to her eyes. And she looked at me and she said, not because he couldn't see with his eyes, but because he couldn't see with his mind. And that, what I, what I learned from that experience is that if your mind believes that reality is a certain way, you can literally experience something completely opposite, but your mind will literally edit the experience out as though it never happened. So, yeah, the harmonic codes are important, but it's that barrier. It's getting past that, that false reality that we have, because that's the box. The, the mind is the box. So when you get to a point when you want out of that box, and you start expressing that in prayer or meditation, uh, steps will be taken to make sure that the parameters of the box change. But it, it has to be done slowly, because part of that box is the ego, and psychologists know that the ego is a form of protection. It's you know, a mental protection. It's what keeps us from going insane when we have very traumatic events. Right. So, so it only lets in a little bit at a time. So it is a slow process. But the process really begins just by really wanting to know. And then, and then the box breaks down, and then you start dealing more and more and more with your higher self. And, and I had, and I talked about this in the book, but I, I had a... a <laughs> We do get help from outside sources, you know. Some of them are spirit guides. Some of them are what we would refer to as angels. And they do come when you need their help, and, they, and they'll, they'll help you. But, but, part, but, but the way they help you is to teach you how to help yourself, and that requires that that box be broken down. So the but my question is about this, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but how is it, because many people pray, 
and this could be a way to, to communicate with, with those entities that are here to help. Guardian angels, some people call them, some people call them something else. How do you really communicate effectively with them? What is the mechanism that can be used to effectively communicate? Well, the first thing that you'll notice is synchronicity, pretty much slapping you in the face everywhere you go. It gets really, really obvious. Uh, I, I, gets really, I mean, it's, it's great. It's, it's really obvious, but it can get a little out of control. For example, there was an author, whose name I won't mention, who was writing about something that I, at the time I just could not wrap my brain around. And I was being driven to read books, read books, read books for this journey. I picked up this book and I read it and I thought, that this, this man is crazy. This is absolutely, it's lunacy. And so I, I prayed and I meditated about it that night. You know, show me, is this any good? What's going on here? And what really bothered me about the book is that he was quoting sources that you can't get anymore. One of those sources was the Jerusalem Bible. It's been out of print for a couple of decades. And the other one was the Morals and Dogma of the 33rd Degree of the Scottish Rite of Masonry. And it bothered me that he was citing these sources, because who can go get those? You can't go look for yourself. And, it, you know, raised an eyebrow. So I was praying and meditating about it. This was on a Wednesday. On Saturday, my mother had a booth at the swap meet. I went down to go see her, and I noticed that the guy across, right across the way from her had stacks and stacks of books. I walked out of there that day with nine books that I paid $5 for, and two of those books for the Jerusalem Bible and the 33rd degree of the Scottish Rite of Masonry. So, you know... The, the, see, it can, happen with, it can happen with one book, but did two books at the same time. I know, and they have been out of print for, you know, or, or you can't get if you're not, you know, in the secret society. Right. So you'll start seeing things like that constantly, and then, and then it's impossible. It gets to a point where it's just so blatant and obvious and in your face that you realize that you, you are, there is a communication happening. You are getting what you asked for. Now, another thing that happened with me, and this, I wrote about this in the book, was, was dreams. Um, a- after the knowledge phase, after reading all these books, I went through a phase where uh, I, was, I was having things downloaded to me in my dreams. And it was very much like that scene from The Matrix where you plug in and, you know, you open your eyes and, and I know karate. Uh, it, it was like that, but it was just, it, it was still the beginning of my journey. I didn't even know the sacred science when all of this was happening. And it was just, it, it it actually really bothered me for a while because it was so intense because it was like being in school 24 hours to do this, to write this book, to take this journey because I couldn't escape it even in my dreams. And it was very, very intense. It was, it was just constant downloading information, downloading information, downloading information. And then I knew I only had so many hours the next day to try to figure it all out before they would download more. And this happened for almost an entire year, every night. And you were putting all this information into writing in the morning, say, I assume. Well, you know, I didn't know what, I didn't know what half of it meant. I mean, it took me probably another good six months or a year to figure it out. It was just so much information. I, 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 it was concepts. Um, you know, it was concepts they wanted me to understand. And, and it, was just, it was just so advanced because you have to remember I was a turnip on the truck. And now, you know, they're trying to down, download the secrets of the universe into my mind, and I'm, I'm still a vegetable. I, it, was, it was really intense. I, I really had a hard time with it in the beginning because, you know, I, I could be sitting there watching television with my husband and my son, and I'd laugh, oh, did you see that? And I'm, not, I'm, I'm like there, but not really. I'm, 
I'm trying to process all the stuff they downloaded all night. You know, it was, it was really intense. That's incredible. You know, I had uh, Sakurai's Sitchin a few weeks ago. You make mention of a very ancient lie being inserted into our past and that you don't necessarily agree with Mr. Sitchin's conclusions regarding the Sumerian tablets. How does your view of the material differ from his? The, the first, we, we touched on this a little bit a few minutes ago, but the very first thing that I would, would really encourage people to keep in mind when they read the Sumerian tablets or any interpretations thereof is that the winners write history. And we are stuck on a loop. It's the loser loop at this point. So, and, and, we, and we see this uh, you know, happen all the time in our history books. One civilization will take over another, and the first thing that they do is they burn their books and their history, and they try to wipe out the entire history of this civilization so that it looks like only their own ever existed. Like the burning of the Library of Alexandria? Exactly. That's exactly right. And we, we have kind of the same thing going on. Um, the Sumerian tablets, you know, I, I don't mean to be disparaging of Zechariah Sitchin because his work is, is very, very important. It's really opened up some very important doors. But I don't agree with a lot of his interpretations of things. And he's not the only person out there who has access to these texts, who has translations. Um, you know, the word Nibiru is interesting. You know, he has uh, come to the conclusion that Nibiru means planet of the crossing. But there are texts out there that state that it's not a planet. It is, in fact, a way of the crossing. And what's interesting about this is that, you know, when we go back to the idea of portals and dimensional gates and things like that being opened up, this is something that we've already done. We did it uh, in the 30s. So we've opened up portals and we've let things in that shouldn't be here. And we do it all the time. We, it's one of those mistakes we make over and over and over again. There's a tablet... When, when, you, say, when you say the 30s, that we let it open, what do you mean? Are you talking about Hitler? Yeah, H Hitler and the occult societies. Yeah, because it's important to remember that the sacred science, it doesn't matter if you're talking about 12 hooded figures who've just who are chanting, you know, and performing rites and rituals that open up a gate, or if it's a machine that opens up a gate, it's the same technology. So, you know, there's that really great quote, um, I, I don't remember it verbatim, that if, if uh, technology really progresses and gets really great, you, it wouldn't look any different than magic. But what I'm saying is there is no difference. It would be indistinguishable from magic, yes. Yeah, there is no difference. What dark, what dark brotherhoods do, those rites and those chants and those things that they do use the exact same principles that our technology does to open those exact same gateways. It's always the same technology. So, so that's first and foremost. So these gates have been opened. They've been opened in the past. It was done with Hitler. And there's a tablet. Um, I, I, there was a site that had a picture of it for a long time, and I was going to put a link to it on my site, but it's not there anymore. But I had my husband do a rendering of it in the book, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure I've come across it in, in Zechariah Sitchin's book, because, because I do have his entire Earth Chronicle series. I did read it. Um, and it clearly shows a stargate. You see, that, you see this gate. It's this little arch thing that looks like there's electricity around it. On the right-hand side, you see what looks like a human being, only very, very tall. And on the left-hand side, it looks like a short human being, but it looks like the human being has a fish coat. 
on. But what's interesting about this, I think people assume that it's a fish, but this fish has a tail like a lizard, which is odd. So it's clearly not a human standing on the left side of this gate. And there are occult texts out there that I won't name here because they're, they're, um, they're full of you know, ritual magic and things like that, but they, are, but they deal a lot with Sumeria and what was really going on back then. And these gates were being opened constantly. And there was kind of a feud between the white magicians and the dark magicians about, about opening these things. Some were opening them, some were running around trying to close them. But on this, on this tablet, you clearly see right above the stargate what looks like a planetary alignment. On the left, you see what, what I personally think looks like the Pleiades. On the far right, you see the moon in its crescent shape. And then there's a planet in the middle that's really hard to discern. Uh, you know, it's really odd, but... In occult texts, there are uh, uh, rituals and things that actually talk about how you can open these gates during planetary alignments. And these texts are very specific about uh, these gates being opened. And, and so Nibiru does not mean planet of the crossing. It's way of the crossing. That's what it is. Now, is it possible that this 3,600-year theme that he has going on is referring to a uh, planetary alignment that happens every 3,600 years, which makes it easier for these gates to be opened. That's a possibility. But I can tell you that I personally do not believe that Nibiru uh, exists as a planet, as it's been described to us. I think it's a mistranslation. Now, you believe our ancient texts are riddles meant to hide the truth from us until we become advanced enough to understand them, be more enlightened, if you will. Can you provide examples of what you mean by that? Yeah, this, this kind of goes back to the Sumerian versus Enoch version of our past, because they, they are two sets of history and two sets of prophecy. Anyone who reads the Sumerian tablets needs to read the Book of Enoch, because the Book of Enoch is from the victim perspective. It's from the human perspective, what really happened, what, what, what really happened to our race when these beings ascended. And then the Sumerian version is the version from the beings who descended. So, of course, it's going to be a little swayed in their favor, right? So we have that going on. But there's something else going on in that we have these really odd prophecies that are constantly, constantly, constantly talking about a race from space that will come here and enslave us or try to enslave us. And what I have a really hard time reconciling is how that ties into what's already happened. Because when people, when people get on this kick where they want to talk about an alien invasion and how they're going to come down here and enslave us all and kill us, we have to realize the serpent's already in the garden. It's, 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 not, uh, it's, it's already happening, but it's happening from the inside out. It's not, uh, you know, we're, we're being taught how to destroy ourselves. It's not coming, you know, it's not an invasion with the fleet in the sky. But I think that when the idea that it will be a race that, that has, the, you know, we aren't there yet, there is no race here, but they're coming and we need to defend ourselves, that mentality is what keeps driving the funding and the research and development of these weapons that we will eventually destroy ourselves with. And that's what concerns me. So I see two different sets of history and I see two different sets of prophecy. I don't find any biblical references at all or any references in the Book of Enoch that this race 
this loop that we're stuck in that we get invaded from outside in the stars in that way. It happens the way it's happening now. It always happens this way. But if you can get Congress to believe that we, we need Star Wars, we need this technology, we need it because these prophecies say that they're going to come and attack us from the stars, then all of a sudden you have people scrambling to build these things and to bring them back into our reality again. And that's what concerns me. Speaking of destructive capabilities, what kind of destructive technologies are we using and developing now that you believe we destroyed ourselves with in previous incarnation cycles? Uh, well, weather modification is the worst one. That is the absolute worst one. In fact, I opened the book with a story. It's a past life regression session that was done. And, and, and it's, it's literally the last few moments of a previous civilization um, where, where this was done. And there are past life regression sessions and other sources that talk about this is the way we killed Mars. We, we inhabited Mars before we were here. And when we were on Mars, this is where the loop began for us. Um, there, was, there were wars and there were feuds, and, and the planet was split. There was a, a, a feud taking place between two different groups as to who, who would rule the world, and they began using weather modification. And when they did that, it literally destroyed their atmosphere, and that's why that planet is dead. This is something we really, really, really have to pay attention to because the weather modification at this point is absolutely out of control. It, it baffles me that you can actually go hire someone to do it. So that's, that's a very, very, very uh, uh, a big one. And folks, this is not a secret. The Russians proved it. The Chinese proved it. During the Olympics in 2008, they even promised it to the people who were there. We will not experience any rain. And there are any clouds, we'll remove them. They said that. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, how do you feel about this? The emergence of recent whistleblowers coming forward with information regarding Mars, and Andrew Bashago is one person, and advanced technologies as, as someone who understands this sacred science. What are your thoughts on what they have to say? Uh, a lot of what they're saying is disturbing. It's disturbing in more ways than one. Uh, there's an idea that's kind of being passed around right now that the remnants of the civilizations that they're finding on, on the moon and Mars are from, a, a, from a, a period in our past where we advanced, became very, very advanced technologically, and we moved out into the stars, and that's not true. Mars is the way it is because that's the planet we started out on and we killed it. And we're, we're on the verge of doing that to this planet. So whenever you have people spinning a different story uh, that that has, that has you, again, not considering personal responsibility in, in your own situation, that's disturbing. Um, you know, it just has us focusing on science. You know, it, we're, not, we're not looking at Mars and realizing we killed the planet, right? I mean, we're, because we're, you know, that, that's disturbing. Um, but there are other things that we're repeating that are also kind of disturbing. And, you know, I did look at Andrew Bashiago's pictures of what he claims are creatures and whatnot, and I didn't see what he saw. Um, and, and I wanted to. I have to be honest. It's a really neat story, and it would really be kind of cool, but uh, I didn't see what he saw. But, but at the same time, he makes mention of this scorpion man. Have you heard about this? Yes, I have. And people should, should realize that 
Edgar Casey made it very, very clear that we we literally did have centaurs and minotaurs and genetic half breeds. Those were a reality. And Edgar Casey talked about these uh, existing during the time of Atlantis. This is when this feud was going on between the sons of the Law of One and the sons of Belial. And the episode that we associate with, uh, you know, the fallen angels happened in Atlantis. And when they, so, and that's another part of the lie that was inserted into our past because we've been told that the Anunnaki created us. But the other version that's not being passed around is that we were already here. We're always already here. We were already in the garden when the serpent came. People need to really make that connection. They did not create us. But what they do is they come down here and they start to mess with things. They mess with our DNA. And this causes problems. And for the Atlanteans, uh, when, when they had their problem with these entities, that's what happened. There were half-breeds that were created. They were half-human and half, half all kinds of other creatures. Uh, some, Edgar Casey literally talks about uh, people that literally had uh, appendages. They had uh, hooves and scales and, tr- and tree parts. It was really a bizarre, bizarre thing. And this is something that we would never have ever considered until we started to understand DNA and genetics. And this is really frightening, but people should be aware of that in the U.K., it's legal to start splicing animal and human DNA, and they are doing it. They are creating chimeras. So, no, just, uh, I was just going to say chimera. And yeah. just for those of you folks, members of, of the Manticore Forum that we have, maybe what Andrew Bashaga was referring to as a scorpion man was really a Manticore, which is a combination of scorpion, lion, and human. Absolutely. And, and so even though, I mean, that was actually kind of my point, because even though I didn't see what he saw in those pictures, I've seen this happen in the past, and I see it happening now, so it wouldn't surprise me, because we are constantly repeating the exact same cycles. So, and it's interesting, too, you know, if you think about it, how is the devil portrayed? A chimera, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, people say, well, the church made the devil up just to scare us so that we would do what they say. But I think they know a lot more than they're letting on, because what happens is when we take this path and we start breaking all of these little laws, we start splicing things together, we end up with the Frankenstein world. And, and this, 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 this warrants, I don't mean to interrupt you, but this could warrant, and I'm looking, if anybody's out there is listening, especially from the United Kingdom, who has done a lot of research on chimeras. I really want to do a show on this because, and I was talking to uh, Dr. David Jacobs a couple of weeks ago, their legal ramifications of having a chimera, which could be 99% human and 1% something else. Imagine creating a new race of slaves because in order for people to have rights, civil rights, you must be a human Human rights do not apply to anything other than human. What is a human? Somebody with 100% human DNA. Right. Yeah, so that's another thing where we, we are on the verge of repeating that we've done in the past, and it didn't go well in the past, so there's no reason to expect it will now. And why we're doing it baffles me. What, what good could possibly come from it, I don't know. Uh, but, that, but that's another one of those things that we're doing. If you're right about what you've discovered in terms of our DNA being an energetic reflection of the solar system we live in, how can we expand into the stars? How can we, like uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell said during the show, there will be a time where we need to leave our planet. We cannot have all our eggs in this basket we call planet Earth. How do we do that? 
Well, right now we can't. It's not physically possible. Not the right way. Um, you know, this, this goes back to the idea that Team Earth is somehow moving from a Type 0 civilization to a Type 1 civilization. Mm-hmm. And these will be completely different in every way. Um, in the book, I talk about some of the health problems that astronauts develop from being in space. And uh, even experiments that were done with pregnant mice in space. The mice are born not knowing which way is up or down. So, uh, you know, the astronauts had higher incidences of cataracts and things like that. So we, ha- we have to understand that we are in the Earth program. Our body is designed for this program. It's not designed for another program or another experience. It's designed are for you this saying program. their DNA of the mice and the astronauts was changed, and that's why that yeah. happened? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, the DNA of, of everything on this planet is programmed for this planet. So we, we can't go out into the stars and expand without having those kinds of problems. We can't do it yet. Um, Are you implying that we didn't go to the moon? Well, we can, we can travel. That's different because, you know, we have the astronauts. They were damaged by having traveled to, you know, out into space, but they didn't live out there. I mean, look at the space shuttle, what those people go through. We, we are, our bodies are a literal energetic reflection of the solar system that we live in. Literally. But I'm referring to, to Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, etc., that supposedly went to the moon. I mean, if, if we cannot leave our planet, does that mean that because of the Van Allen belt we cannot? Or did we actually go to the moon? Um, well, we can leave our planet, but, but, you know, visiting another place and living there as a civilization are two different things. So very short term, you're saying? Yeah, we, yeah, we can travel, but we, we cannot expand the way people use that term into the stars because the body we have now won't allow us to do it. And this we cannot colonize. Colonize, right? And this goes back to uh, the quarantine that people have talked about, and a lot of people theorize it's some mean race that won't let us off the planet. But in fact, it's for our own good. We we can't go into the stars. We there is a leap that we have to make. And that leap will affect all four planes that we exist on, which will include our DNA as well. Until that happens, we, we literally can't do it. It's not possible. But the moon thing, that's really interesting. I, I wrote about this in the book. You know, I, I do think we went to the moon. I just don't think we went in a rocket ship. Okay, explain that. <laughs> um, you know, Hitler, he, he realized because he was working with secret societies. In fact, they, they're the ones who propped him up. And they, they became the face of what they were doing, basically. Uh, but they taught him through his, those associations that advanced technology and ancient texts go hand in hand. So he went out uh, in search. You know, he sent all these parties out to gobble up all these ancient texts. And some of these texts have the literal al- alchemical recipe of how to build a UFO right in them. You know, it's not, uh, it's right there. Um, and he had significant experience with the Vril, which was... Uh, a UFO belt, kind of an odd-shaped uh, spaceship that they had. So Hitler was on the verge of, of already doing these things, and I think what people really have to get accustomed to seeing as part of our reality is that it really doesn't matter to us at all that Hitler was defeated because every single mentality and project and, and uh, science that man was using came here, and we have... Operation Paperclip. Yeah, We've continued it, and that's what these technologies are, the continuation of those things. So when we look at the wireless transmission of power, even if 
we, we didn't have at the time to go to the moon in a spaceship, even if we didn't have anti-gravity propulsion, we, we absolutely could have got there through the wireless transmission of power, and you still don't need rockets. So I, I really just don't think we went in a rocket. And in fact, there's a, uh, a really great book that I, I quote. Uh, it was a gentleman who actually discovered that, that the equation that NASA is giving people for the, the moon's gravity is wrong, and that if, if you know the real equation, it proves that you can't get to the moon in a rocket. That you cannot get to yeah. the moon in a rocket? No, uh, no you can't. It's not possible. So. <laughs> okay, um, this is a new reality. I'm just, my creative mind is starting to come up with these theories in mind, thinking, could it be that they landed in the equivalent of the Vril flying saucer, step out, get to something else there that pretended to be the lunar module? Absolutely. And is that what you theorize? Yeah. I mean, did you look at the thing? Would you fly to the moon in that thing? I'm oh, come on. No, no. I'm one of those people that does not use the word believe. When people ask me, do you believe that we went to the moon? My answer is, I don't know. I cannot prove either or. Yeah, I, I, I really do believe that we went there. I just don't think we did it in a rocket ship because there are indications that that's not even physically possible. So if we went, as you say, what do you think they saw? What did they see? Um, well, I know there's a lot of speculation that they weren't alone when they got there, and that wouldn't surprise right. me in the least, because, you know, humanity is always being watched over. Mm -hmm. You know, pe people like to, to perpetuate the idea that the universe is, it, it all came out of chaos, things collided, and it was all accidental. But I promise you, the universe is a very, very, very structured place. There are laws and rules and guidelines in place for everything. Um, even us being watched over, that's a natural part of our evolution. So who was there and, and you know, what they were doing there uh, is something that I personally am not really concerned about because, again, if they're there, you don't see them coming down here and shooting us all with their flying saucers and invading. So I guess all I'm saying is... I, Maybe there was someone there. That's really possible, and it's actually probable, but I, I personally am not disturbed by that. I don't, I don't personally find that as a really exciting revelation. <laughs> I don't know why. We don't want to believe. We want to know. And you, you referred to uh, Major Ed Dames earlier in the show, and I can only think of another remote viewer, Ingo Swan, who had a 90% success rate in telling what the targets were in Jupiter. At the same time, if anybody has read the book Penetration, he talks about remote viewing the moon, where he's seen people without any assistance of oxygen tanks, etc., just mining helium-3. So here's a, a very reputable remote viewer saying that, yes, there's people on the moon. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, it, it really wouldn't. Yeah, I, I've not heard that. The helium-3, that's interesting. But, but again, I think we have to take into consideration that um, we, I think we need to get past the idea that we're going to be invaded by some race from outer space because they're, they're, they're out there all the time and it's not happening. <laughs> I think that's, um, that's part of the illusion that's being created so that we'll continue to fund technologies. You, you know, that uh, you've got President Reagan talking about, is, is there not an alien presence already among us? I mean, how much more obvious would it get? Exactly. And everybody thinks about this year, 2012. What are your feelings about 2012? It's a non-event. 
It's an absolute non-event because... Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
This is Dr. Nick Begich, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.